Good morning, everybody. Oh, so, um, we are starting our prayer course, which is an eight-week journey through the Lord's Prayer, um, which I'm very excited about. I'm very, um, I'm very keen to get stuck into this. Um, and the, the first week's theme is, why pray? Why pray? A nice, big, broad subject uh, to uh, be challenged to come up with a sermon around. Um, and so it got me thinking, um, I don't know whether, you, uh, whether you've ever Googled something. Uh, it tends to be the thing that we do these days, whenever we don't know the answer to whatever, we need to find something out, we need to find where the nearest supermarket is, we need to find out what day Easter is, or, or whatever. Um, you, you, the first thing you do is you Google it. You Google it, that's at least me anyway. Um, and when you Google something, um, and you start typing in, it has this little tool that tells you lots of the things that other people have Googled. Mm. And they call it autocomplete. It starts trying to guess what it is that you might be trying to find out based on what other people have said. It's the autocomplete feature, an auto response to whatever it is your inquiring mind is going for. And so what I thought we'd do to start off our talk today is have a bit of a game. A bit of a game that I've just stolen from another youth worker called auto-response. On our next slide, there are a list of auto-responses. If you were to type in, I smell, um, these, these five are possible auto-responses. However, one of them, one of them I added in, or someone else added in, and it's not genuine. Can you guess which one it was? Is it, I smell snow? Is it, I smell like beef? Is it, I smell great? Is it, I smell wood? Or is it, I smell trouble? What do you think? Snow. Feel free to shout out, snow, beef, great. It is, in fact, Joe, it is, I smell trouble. Ah, yeah, okay, next one, next one. I lied to parents, to boyfriends, to dad, to therapist, to mom. Which one do you think it is? Therapist. Is it therapist, Joe? It's no, it's dad, it's dad. Oh, no one apparently lies to their dad. There you go. Mm. Okay, here's one for you. Uh, country music is dead. Country music is the best. Country music is three chords and the truth. Country music is trash. Country music is art. Any votes for this one? Trash? The best. The best? The, the answer, Joe, is country music is art, obviously. No one would think that. No one would search that. Country music. Oh. Next, 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 next. How do you make someone miss you? How do you make someone leave you alone? How do you make someone love you? How do you make someone a Facebook admin? Or how do you make someone pass out? What do you think? What do you think? Pass out? How do you make someone pass out? Actually, the answer is, how do you make someone leave you alone? Apparently, the world's populace is very loving and don't want people to leave them alone. Okay, next one. I love my dog. I love my spouse, I love my mom, my sister, or I love my pillow. What do you think? Spouse. Spouse. 
Sister, I'll let her know, Paul. Dog is the answer, dog. Apparently people don't love dogs anymore. Okay, and have we got another one? The last one. Never put a blade in the ground. Honestly, this is, apparently this is what, when you search never put a, these are some of the, the, some of the responses. Never put a blade in the ground. Never put a baby in the corner. Never put a cauliflower in a croissant. Never put a wig on a dog, on your dog specifically, or never put a sock in the toaster. Any guesses as to what it might be? There are some people in the room who might have a slight lead on this answer. What do you think, Jamie? Never put a cauliflower in a croissant. Interesting. It's the correct answer. There we go, there we go. Auto-response. Um, in many ways in life, we have auto-responses to things. We have a natural gut response, a gut reaction. Like if someone comes along and says, how are you today? In your wonderfully polite, British, dishonest way, you say, oh, I'm fine, thank you. That's your auto-response. Or if someone was to throw a rock in your direction, you would probably duck as your auto-response. If your mum was to offer you broccoli with your tea, your auto-response would obviously be no. Um, or if you're having a nightmare in a prehistoric Jurassic land and a stegosaurus comes running at you uh, and your auto-response would be to get out of the way or to pray or to wake up in cold sweats. Yeah. Um, to so many things in life, we have an auto-response. Um, and one of the most common auto-responses is prayer. The, uh, the old English word for, so the, sorry, the, the English word for prayer um, has its roots in Latin and it's the word precarious. Precarious. We pray because life is precarious. Life is uncertain. Life is insecure. Life is unpredictable. It draws us to pray. The Canadian psychologist David G. Benner describes prayer as the soul's native language. He observes that our natural posture is attentive openness to the divine. Abraham Lincoln once said, I've been driven upon my knees many times by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom seemed insufficient for that day. Uh, the great Dave Grohl, rock star of the Foo Fighters and Nirvana, admits to praying desperately when his now late drummer, Taylor Hawkins, overdosed at V Festival. He said, I would talk to God out loud as I was walking from the hospital. I'm not a religious person, but I was out of my mind. I was frightened. I was heartbroken and confused. And this ingrained spirituality in humankind is nothing new. Uh, there's cave paintings dating back 25,000 years um, in, um, where are we looking at? Turkey. Turkey, a place very much in the news um, this week. There are temple ruins of 6,000 years before even Stonehenge. And Stonehenge itself, um, thought to be a place of spiritual ritual and of prayer in the broader sense, 3,000 years before Jesus Christ even. 
And then today, 300 years post-enlightenment, there are surveys of people who consider themselves to be non-religious, but yet a, th a quarter of them admit to praying regularly. I would say before, before in retrospect, I, I would say I was a Christian, um, even though I grew up in a church family, before I really encountered God for myself um, and, and decided to follow Jesus um, and really would say I knew him personally, I still prayed. Prayer was something I did every day on the way to school because school was, uh, a high school in particular, was a place that was full, full of anxiety for me. I, 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 I struggled so much with high school. And every way on my 20 minute walk, I would walk praying desperately because there was nothing else I could do that would shape, the, shape how school was for me. Thankfully, school is nothing like Stanley High School, Jamie, as you know it now. There you go. Got that one in too. Um, but for those who, who don't know, uh, there are certain words that I've been given to get into the sermon today uh, by the young people. And they are counting off how many I've got in. How many have you got so far? Five. Five. Doing quite well. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Um, and I've skipped in my notes somewhere now. <laughs> oh, come on, iPad. Right, yes, okay. What about us then? What about us as Christchurch Southport in the year 2023? What about us? With a, a heart for Southport, uh, at the heart of Southport, we believe it is time to take prayer more seriously than ever before. And that's why we're starting out on this journey of prayer together as a church between now and Easter with a course simply called How to Pray. An eight-week journey that will help you and your community to grow and deepen your prayer life, it is uh, described as. It's created by a movement called 24-7 Prayer, which began as one uh, simple prayer meeting in 1999 and is now an interdenominational, international movement, reviving the church and rewiring culture through non-stop night and day prayer. And the first theme on the prayer course is, why pray? And so we have a really good, helpful, animated video from 24-7 Prayer that explains it much better than I ever could. And so let's watch that now. Have you ever wondered why so many people pray? Well, Albert Einstein said that there's really only two ways to live, as if nothing's a miracle or as if everything's a miracle. Either life's a fluke and we're just a bunch of highly evolved animals on a big rock lost in space, or there's a creator behind creation, a, a God behind goodness. And if so, then connecting with him in prayer is pretty much the most mind-blowing thing you can do. Archaeologists keep digging stuff up that shows we've always prayed. People of many faiths pray daily, even atheists admit to praying sometimes. Real prayer is a two-way conversation with the living God who loves and listens to the things we say. Jesus said, ask anything in my name and it'll be done. We have a chance to ask for peace, healing, help or whatever we need. 
Life matters. You matter. Your choices, thoughts, prayers and actions echo in eternity. But in case you hadn't noticed, God is pretty much invisible and not always easy to hear. There are distractions, disappointments and questions that we all share. That's why 24-7 prayer does stuff to help thousands of people in hundreds of places connect with God in new ways. People are learning to pray by just praying. And today, millions are discovering that God's real. Life's a miracle. And the most powerful thing you can ever do is to pray. And so if prayer is the auto-response of humanity, ingrained in civilization throughout history, as natural as a monkey eating a banana, then really, why pray? The question why pray kind of answers itself. And we want to dig deeper into that. We want to ask how to pray. What do we pray for? To whom do we pray? Pete Gregg of the 24-7 prayer movement says the answer to such questions is to be found in the revolutionary life and teaching of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to apologise for this. I'll likely get quite passionate about this subject today because for me, in my mid-teens, prayer went from being this superstitious auto-response to the struggles of life, to be, from being a, a lucky teddy that you would take wherever I went, to being the most powerful, life-changing means of encounter in God's presence, in an undeniably real, tangible, powerful way. Like Emily said to our young people recently, it, it's the difference between knowing about Jesus to really, really knowing him personally, at work, in our lives. Choosing to commit my life to Jesus when I was 15 years old was seemingly the only response I could make um, when I encountered God and experienced him, like for real, experienced God's presence. That this Christianity stuff wasn't just some stuffy old never-ending history lesson, but that God's Holy Spirit is alive and at work in our world and in our lives, that we can know the presence of God right here, right now. It was the most incredible, extraordinary discovery. I I sounded crazy to my friends, uh, probably even half of the church that I grew up in, uh, but it was this experience of God that continues to just be incredible. In the words of Mary Poppins, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Almost got that wrong right. Um, and ever since, ever since, I've wanted as many people to know this, to experience the presence of God. And I fully believe that we can all know God's presence more and more and more, and that it will change us. It will change our church. It will change our community. It will draw others to seek God. It will draw others to seek God for themselves. It will draw others to partner with us um, in, in Christian life and witness. And hey, being marked with God's presence is definitely something that I think will draw whoever it is God has lined up to be our next vicar. The presence of God. 
Like I said, the, the modern 24-7 prayer movement started with a, a prayer room in 1999, next door to, uh, it was next door to Chichester Cathedral, uh, and I've read quite a lot about how it all began. Um, and, and it is a pretty amazing story, if you ever get a chance to look it up. Um, pretty miraculous, some of the things that went on as people encountered God and were empowered by his Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the presence of God was kept in a prayer room as well. Due to God's holiness uh, and the people's imperfection and their need of victory over sin, which we were reading about from Matthew's Gospel today, this prayer room was called the Holy of Holies, the tabernacle, the most central part of the Jewish temple. It was a room that only the highest priests could enter. And that, even that was after a whole load of ritual washing and stuff like that. Just in case they were at risk of still being utterly incinerated by the power and holiness of God in there, the other priests would tie a rope around them in case they had to drag them out halfway through their ritual. Like, how mad must that have been? For the God that we know the love of so dearly now to be separated from his people like that. The Israelites, they were obsessed with this tabernacle. A third of the book of Exodus is dedicated to the tabernacle. And they had it as this mobile tent that they would take around with them wherever they went. And then when they arrived in the promised land, they built a huge temple around this prayer room where God's spirit, God's presence dwelt. And they had this, uh, this rotor of priests who would keep the, uh, keep the pattern of 24-7 worship and prayer going right around the clock. And there would be a never-ending burning flame on the altar that never went out. But in our reading in Matthew today, at the death of Jesus Christ, the temple, the physical temple, became redundant. At that moment, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, gave up his spirit, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rock split, and the tombs broke open. Pete Gregg describes this as the ultimate spine-tingling, amen, to the ceaseless prayers offered from tabernacle to temple. The presence of God was never again to be locked away in leather tents and temples of stone for an exclusive representative few. Instead, each one of us could now become a walking, talking prayer room, a tabernacle of skin for the presence of God. And in the 2,000 years since, those temple curtains were first torn and the presence of God was let out and available for all. There's been an incredible journey of never ceasing, endless prayer. And the stories of generations uh, impacted by discovering prayer, discovering the very real indwelling presence of God are just astonishing. There was the first disciples in the book of Acts, turning the world upside down, as it's told. 
The, the desert fathers in the fourth century AD who, inspired by solitary prayer, brought the gospel to our pagan lands uh, here in Northern Europe. There was Alexander the Sleepless. Um, Alexander the Sleepless had a troop of 24-7 prayers um, who sounded quite, sounded quite intimidating, to be honest. Um, they, they rose against the established religion. They were a bit of rebels. Uh, they combined their charismatic dynamism of the house of prayer with the potential menace of a 100-strong gang. Uh, Alexander, apparently, with his gang of praying heavies, may even have intimidated people by cruising up and down the river Euphrates, praying 24-7 on a boat. Like, how intimidating does that sound? As the youth today would say, that is pretty slay, queen. And then there was Bangor Abbey. Bangor Abbey, there you go. Bangor Abbey in um, Northern Ireland. One of the most influential houses of prayer, of 24-7 prayer for 250 years. Sending out missionaries, spreading a knowledge of God's presence far and wide with our pal St. Patrick. There's the Order of St. Benedict. There's, there's the Wesleys. There's Whitfield, there's William Booth's Salvation Army, there's the Welsh Revival, there's the Azusa Street Revival at the birth of Pentecostalism. So many miraculous, incredible stories of God's presence breaking through to ordinary people, turning the world upside down. Prayer is so, so powerful. And I don't know about you, but I long for as many people as possible to know this, to experience this, to discover the reality of God's presence in their lives through the power of God's word, through the gospel. One of the most um, inspiring stories of 24-7 prayer, um, which Angie talked about briefly a couple of weeks ago, um, was the Moravian community back in the 1700s. Imagine this, it's, it's the year 1727. Uh, there's a, a, a community of refugees who have fled for their lives across the Austrian Alps um, under fierce religious persecution, driven from, uh, out from their homes and livelihoods, leaving Moravia, this, uh, this ragtag bunch of misfits, um, were granted permission to settle to settle in Germany on the estate of a 22-year-old aristocrat called Count Nikolaus von Zinzendorf, who wanted to create this little village. He was only 22, and he was an aristocrat, and he, was, he had this whole estate, and he wanted to create this whole little village built on a truly Christian community, uh, peacefully united around the Bible alone. Great idea, but five years passed and it all fell apart. Um, all these Moravians, uh, it didn't work for them, they all fell out. Um, and so Count Zinzendorf, now 27, um, was fed up and gathered them all in the church at Bethelsdorf, insisting on apologies all round. This guy's still only 27, that's younger than me. Ben, how old are you now? 27, someone as old as Ben, I thought you were, uh, someone as old as Ben was gathering all of these people from this community that he had built and demanding they apologise. The plan had failed, what a letdown. But then one by one they stood up in tears, confessing their sinful attitudes 
expressing their forgiveness. And there and then, in that village church on the 13th of August, 1727, the Holy Spirit of God moved with such power that they began to pray like they have never prayed before. And they didn't stop for 100 years, night and day, praying. And it wasn't just nice, lovely, pretty prayers either. From that, those prayers, from that 100-year-long prayer meeting, 3,000 missionaries were sent from a tiny little village in Germany right across the world, taking the gospel, being shot out to some of the furthest places from this tiny little village, propelled by this incredible prayer meeting, preaching the gospel and seeing lives transformed. They embodied the promise of God made in 2 Chronicles 7, uh, verse 14. That is, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. It was a group of Moravian missionaries, um, a group of these missionaries who were on a transatlantic ship to America where they were encountered by John Wesley. John Wesley, who uh, was the founder of one of the greatest revivals in all history. It was a group of Moravian missionaries that he met on this ship and he experienced his own powerful conversion that led to Methodism and all that God has gifted the wider church throughout that movement. I grew up in a Methodist church, and my experience of that was quite different to um, what I read off in Massive Revivals. And I remember shortly after I'd come to faith myself and encountered God, um, and I realised that all my friends that I'd grown up with hadn't seemingly had that experience and had drifted away. And I was so annoyed. I was so angry. I was like, how can this be? I was so frustrated. And I was sat in a sermon one night at church listening to, uh, listening to the minister preach about how it's okay to be angry, how it's okay to take out our frustration and let it all out to God, that he can take it, that we can be real, we can be honest with him. And so I did. I was like, God, this cannot be. How can this be that I've encountered you, I've met you, and it's amazing, but other people don't seem to, and church doesn't seem to be creating an opportunity for people to, and what is going on? And then in that moment, before I'd ever heard this phrase, 24-7 prayer, the phrase just popped into my head, 24-7 prayer. And I was like, I don't know what that is. I mean, it kind of does what it says on the tin, uh, but I don't know what, what that is. And so I went away, I chatted to Stuart McTaggart, who was a youth leader at another church at the time, um, and we Googled it, obviously, um, and we discovered that it is actually this international movement of prayer with some incredible stories coming out of it. And so we thought, well, yeah, okay, let's, let's do this. Let's do some 24-7 prayer. So we set aside a week. I, was, I, was, I just turned 18. Um, and so I was old enough to get a DBS check and I was old enough to join the church and get a key uh, so we could let people in to pray in our prayer room. And, and so we did that and we had this most incredible week of 24-7 prayer. There was a group of young people who just came in off the streets 
and, and encountered what was going on. And, and we were like, well, we, we need to create a youth group for them now. There wasn't one to, for them to join. Uh, I was 18. I'd never done youth ministry before, but I just thought, well, okay, there's no one else. I better do it. And so I stepped up and did it. And, and the minister at the time came along every week. We started this youth ministry that came out of 24-7 prayer. As I prayed through our readings this week, I felt really moved. I felt really moved by God's heart for us and his desire to release us into this. I believe God wants to tear open the temple curtains that we've put up that stop us encountering his presence. Some of those temple curtains might be hurts, they might be habits, they might be hang-ups. But we, we might have that knowledge that God is alive and at work in us, that head knowledge, but for some reason it doesn't seem to be something that we are experiencing as a powerful reality in our lives. Those curtains that we have up don't just, aren't just stopping other people experiencing God's presence, but they're stopping us from experiencing it even ourselves. And so I want to implore you to reflect on those temple curtains, what were actually quite precious to the Israelites, to reflect on that, to go on your own journey of prayer, to see those curtains torn in two from top to bottom in your own life, and to encounter God afresh. Then you will call on me, and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Those words that Chris read were, uh, were spoken firstly to the Israelites. The Israelites who had been living in persecution, under exile, banished from their homeland, telling them not to listen to the well-wishing prophets who were telling them their problems would all go away overnight. But instead, he was reassuring them that God knows the plans he had for them, the plans to prosper them, not to harm them, plans to give them a hope and a future. So may your journey of prayer be one of trusting in the hope God gives, even in the toughest of situations, that as you come and pray, you will know him listening, you will seek him and find him when you seek him with all your heart. And so let's do it. Let's get stuck in to our prayer course. Let's trust and pray and know God's presence. The course is really quite simple. It's based on uh, the simple but profound Lord's Prayer, uh, which we find in Luke 11, uh, which is where the disciples simply come before Jesus and say, Lord, teach us how to pray. And that's what it is. I believe it will be an incredible journey for us as a church, no matter what stage we are at in our personal faith. Uh, there's three things part of this study session this week that if you join a, a missional community or get together with others to look at the course, you will be looking at. Um, and they come from Matthew uh, chapter 6. Uh, they, they are really clear in the message paraphrase. Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. 
The world is so full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want out of God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you're dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. Keep it simple. Keep it real. Let's be honest before God. We don't need to role play. And keep it up. That doesn't mean that we're going to start praying in a second and we're never going to leave this place for eight weeks. Um, But keep it up, as in keep encountering God's presence. And use those moments of encounter, of time with God, as, as the catalyst for the rest of your lives the rest of your walk with him that God's presence is available to us 24 7 empowering us so let's pray God thank you for your presence thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit who once dwelt in that temple and then broke out through tearing curtains as Jesus died to take victory over sin and death. Thank you that as a resurrection comes, when we encounter you, we are risen to new life. We are a resurrection people. And so God, we pray that right now you would breathe your life into us, In this moment, this morning, in this place, we ask that you would come powerfully, Holy Spirit. Lord, we make space for you now.